The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. From the um, Utilities Commission, sir. Ah, yes. Well, let's see. Amazing. My nuclear plant has been approved for full operation after only a month of testing. Politicians can be so reasonable in a crisis. Might it be rather a good time to power it up, sir? No, not yet, Nigel. Any good chef will tell you that all stews must simmer. Exactly. In fact, I'm feeling a little bit chilly. I think a few degrees warmer might be good. Warmer, sir? Well, yes. Today, the newspaper cooperated by printing our theory. So now it's up to us to provide... The proof. The proof. Exactly. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October 20th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Wow. Did you catch just how many elements of today's real-life global crisis were illustrated in our show opener today? Taken from an episode of the 90s TV series Lois and Clark, it was impossible not to notice the parallels. There you have an evil Lex Luthor, who is the imaginary city of Metropolis's own Klaus Schwab, Anthony Fauci, and Bill Gates all wrapped together, who is bragging to his partner in crime that his deadly nuclear project was approved after only one month of testing. (laughs) Go figure. Well, at least that was more testing than was given to the Covidian injections. Because, of course, those tests are being conducted on the public as we speak. And then Luther says that politicians can be so reasonable in a crisis, a crisis which he, of course, created. (laughs) Does any of this sound familiar? But then it gets even more weird. A few degrees warmer might be good, Luther suggests, referring to his nuclear weather control and manipulation device, thereby inducing climate change in the city of Metropolis. The newspaper cooperated by printing our theory, he says. There is the fake news media, and it's up to us to provide the proof, which means a false flag or a false narrative to explain the proof. And, of course, Luther's proof describing the cause of the municipal warming was a narrative accusing Superman of causing it whenever he exercised his superpower to do good and to save lives. Sound familiar? (laughs) Any good chef will tell you that all stews must simmer, says Lex Luthor, and boy are we ever in an international stew of variant sinister conspiracies including the emerging horrors of what is being found in the injections being foisted upon us, the propaganda and aggression by the West against Russia, the evil and corruption that defines Ukraine, the irrational and destructive ideology of fighting climate change, the totalitarian urge to create a one-world government, the threats of an impending nuclear war accompanied by the advocacy for having such a war, the collapse of international currencies in the coming hyperinflationary period, the censorship of any voices speaking out against any of this, shortages of food and other commodities, and then there's the willful blindness of a significant portion of the public to any acknowledgement of what is behind all of these doing totalitarian ingredients. 
Well, it's all coming together in one big stew, right after our invitation to you to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. You know, if a simple fantasy show like Lois and Clark, which by the way was an excellent TV series, But if such a simple fantasy show could encapsulate and depict all of the essential elements of a calculated conspiracy so easily in a fictional environment, how come so many people still can't detect the real conspiracies in front of their own eyes? I mean, we all get enough stories about them in our art, in our literature, our books, movies, TV shows, etc. Every murder mystery is the uncovering of a conspiracy which makes every detective and police officer technically a conspiracy theorist, doesn't it? I think that part of the problem many people have with either grasping or accepting what is happening in front of them is that they still regard such narratives as the stuff of fantasy, science fiction, and, of course, conspiracy theory. And I've been wondering if there is a category of conspiracy-hesitant, fake-news-compliant people who fall under the umbrella of what Dr. Desmet described as mass formation, yet another element of our political simmering stew that we'll be revisiting later on. And yes, conspiracy is the operative word here. You know, it's actually my understanding that the very term conspiracy theorist was conjured up and propagated by groups like the CIA and other nefarious organizations to deflect and distract from their own conspiracies that they didn't want to have uncovered. A conspiracy theorist is simply someone who may be dedicated to looking into and theorizing about activities that might be defined as a conspiracy. Now here are a couple of simple definitions from my Webster's Pocket Dictionary, each offering two slightly different meanings of conspiracy. First, conspiracy, a plot, especially one to do something harmful, illegal, or treasonable. Two, a striking occurrence, as of circumstances or tendencies. And then the word conspire, to form a plot, especially secretly for evil or unlawful purposes. And the second definition is to concur in action or endeavor as circumstances. Now, keeping those dubious distinctions in mind, let us consider another dimension of what may constitute conspiracy, courtesy of an audio bite sent to my attention which featured the late George Carlin appearing on a Bill Maher panel discussion during which he confronted fellow panelist Horace Cooper. They're out in the open now. They're not even trying to conceal it anymore. The owners of the country have, t- they bought their elect, got their election. They said, we're going to get this election. We put you people in that court for a reason. Right, Now's back the time to, to pay earth us. for you and now. Yeah, forget all that stupid, will you? <laughs> you? They're out in the open. They're, open. No. they're openly driving the bus, and we're all in the back. There is no, there is no national conspiracy to buy elections and control America. Now that's Talk about back to earth. Conspiracy, but you don't need a formal conspiracy right. when interests converge. These people went to the same universities oh, and fraternities. They're on the it's same boards simple. of directors. They're in the same country clubs. They have like interests. They yes. don't need to call a meeting. They know what's good for them. It's a and 
are getting please. it. And there, there used to be this... seven oil companies. There are now three. It will soon Ooh. be two. The things that matter in this country have been reduced in choice. There are two political parties. There are a handful of insurance companies. There are about six or seven in information. But if you want a bagel, there are 23 flavors because you have the illusion. You have the illusion of choice. Right. You don't get the real important choice. There's no freedom of choice. Yeah, a definite conspiracy denier there in the name of Horace Cooper. You know, the word conspiracy in broad usage, as we said, implies a sinister intent, an intent to harm. But that informal conspiracy, quote-unquote, that phenomenon described by Carlin is universal. It falls under the loose realm of definitions that read a striking occurrence as of circumstance or tendency or to concur in action or endeavor as circumstances. I'm not even exactly sure if I agree that circumstances alone are enough to identify a conspiracy. However, we've all heard the term right-wing conspiracies, haven't we? Because the left uses variants of that term to describe not any kind of explicit act of planning or conspiring in the sense of a military action or offensive, but a philosophical phenomenon that makes people who share the same values and the same philosophies appear to be in some kind of collusion with each other because they always arrive at the same conclusions without even ever having directly known or contacted each other. That's the power of philosophy. That's how it works. It's not a conspiracy. And you know, that's pretty much how the Ottawa Freedom Convoy formed last winter. And no, converging at a single location and having a meeting for the purpose of holding a rally or protest does not constitute anything resembling a conspiracy. Consider all of the doctors who are independent and independently arrive at the same conclusions about COVID and the so-called vaccines that aren't, and how they are always being accused by the criminal class of conspiring to spread false information, misinformation. Then consider the dependent and compliant group of doctors and media monsters who all sing the same fake news tune in the exact same fake unison, so parallel to each other that, you know, it's no longer amusing to me to watch all of those superimpositions that people have compiled, you know, in online videos where they line up dozens of dependent media announcers all chiming the exact same words at the exact same time. And most importantly never mentioning any other narrative whatever. It was way back on April 23rd, 2020, that we broadcast our episode entitled Corona Conspiracies, wherein we cited a CBC News report dated April 15th of that year, announcing that the Canadian federal government let it be known that it was open to new laws to fight quote-unquote pandemic misinformation. One instance cited was the misinformation regarding conspiracy theories about what triggered the pandemic. Claims that it was cooked up in a lab, for example. Well, of course, we now know that this is not only true, but far worse than anyone could have imagined at the time, as we will be hearing momentarily. Another example of quote-unquote misinformation that the Canadian government wanted to fight were claims that the drug hydroxychloroquine demonstrated itself to be effective at treating COVID-19. And again, today, we know that to be a fact. We knew it then, but one will revisit again very shortly. Though Canadian government officials continually reminded us in 2020 that there are many unknowns, quote-unquote, regarding COVID-19, apparently 
They were quite knowledgeable about the fact that the virus was not cooked up in a lab and that hydroxychloroquine was too dangerous to be administered to COVID-19 patients. How did they know that? And on what evidence was that based? Well, as we know now, on none. This was a consequence of political considerations, not health. The propaganda continues to this day. It is simply criminal and serves as a political tactic to prolong the various crises of the day for as long as possible. So, speaking of being in a stew, coming up next is a stew of a different category, namely Stu Peters in conversation with Karen Kingston on his October 12th broadcast. If you haven't heard any of this before, I have to warn you that what you're about to hear is rather shocking. And I have heavily edited it from the original myself with regards to the very technical and legal details that were an intricate part of the original conversation. For our purposes here, I have, as much as possible, focused on the essential narrative that is emerging out of all of this, and Karen Kingston, his guest, is not the only one to be saying this. What if they're lying even about the nature of the COVID-19 virus itself? That's the argument that my next guest is going to make. Karen Kingston sent me this message just the other day. Quote, Stu, I found it all. I have it all. Unquote. She says that what she has found exposes the entire lie at the heart of COVID-19. And she says that she can prove everything that she's about to tell us. Karen Kingston joins us now. Karen, thanks for being here. What is COVID-19? The level of deception that has been unleashed on the Americans and global population is, is impossible almost to understand. The body of scientific evidence, mRNA experts, government documents, and the inventor of SARS-CoV-2 himself, Ralph Barrick, has clearly stated that all mRNA coronaviruses, including SARS-CoV-2, are impossible to achieve human-to-human infection. It was always a lie that this virus could ever infect humans and be transmissible. And I have all the documentation to prove it. We have been gaslit and distracted by this concept of a coronavirus that's infectious. And everyone that's come forward to validate the experts and the witnesses that you've had on your show saying, hey, People are magnetic. People are having weird neurological and CNS dysfunctions. We're looking underneath the microscope and seeing the self-assembling nanotechnologies. We're looking under the microscope of people who have been injected and their self-assembling nanotechnologies. And we're ignoring the evil itself. Why are we being gaslit about a virus that is clinically, statistically, evolutionary, and scientifically impossible to infect people and not talking about the artificial intelligence nanoweapon that's been unleashed on the American people. And by the way, the spike protein is actually matches up with the CAD files, the computer animated design files in three patents for a nanoweapon technology that is made from artificial intelligence, magnetic hydrogels. Um, Okay, so it's not a virus. It's not contagious. How were people getting sick? They were getting sick with an artificial intelligence nanoweapon. And how does that spread? Per the patents, these can be delivered uh, in 
an aerosol attack. They can be delivered through water. They can be delivered in food. And, and so what people were infected with was an artificial intelligent parasite. It's an AI nanoweapon. And again, if you take a look at the peer-reviewed journals in nanotechnology and the peer-reviewed journals in you know, vaccinology and viruses, um, you'll see the, the, the technology for lipid nanoparticles is the same as the spike protein. You'll also see it's the same as a military-grade bioweapon or a nanoweapon. You know, maybe because it's so unbelievable, and I think people really found validity in patents. So I'm going to go to this patent, and it, it is one of three patents for the nanoweapon technology, and it's called Intelligent Sensor Platforms. So this invent invention um, is embodiments that are directed to self-adapting, scalable, and communicating sensor platforms that are further capable of autonomous and cognitive action. The invention relates to a multifunction sensor platform, such as biomedical sensor platform, biomolecular sensor platform, electronics, communications, information processing, and the like. It also goes on to say that the sensors have applications in the efficacy of healthcare. But let's go through this patent so people understand what they have been inoculated with. Essentially, the AI nanoweapon is a new AI species. Those spike proteins are parasites. Um, and those parasites do gene editing inside of you to spawn viruses, diseases, um, biosynthetic structures, as well as to host the development of these new species that are being developed. So I'm going to read it from the patent. So it says here, in one embodiment, the instant inv invention teaches one or more elements that in whole or in part execute one or more types of actions for creating, spawning, comprising, modifying, repairing, regenerating, reassembling, and control and regulation of one or more cells, cellular elements, organelles, including like actions and behaviors involving cellular process such as endocytosis, so things being ex exuded from cells, exocytosis being extracted from cells such as DNA, uh, mitosis, trafficking, signaling, so completely controlling your cytokines, the signals of your immune system, the signals of your central nervous system, um, your, your nerve cells, and upregulation and downregulation, and other behaviors and the like. So it truly is to completely control the body. And now we know COVID-19, now there's all these symptoms of CNS symptoms, fatigue, emotional disruption, um, you know, and, and that's because this does hijack the central nervous system. So when we were told that the vaccine contained the full mRNA sequence for SARS-CoV-2, we thought the mRNA SARS-CoV-2 sequence was this synthetically recreated virus that was encapsulated in the lipid nanoparticles. No, it's actually a computer sequence. It is a computer program sequence. These are nanotechnologies. Now, keep in mind, so what's, what's nano size? First of all, a virus is normally microns, so it's two or three microns. A nano is one one-thousandth of that. So these are typically one one-hundredth or smaller the size of a virus. So the mass don't do anything. Nothing does anything. A biohazard suit doesn't do anything. These, some of these are as small as uh, less than 10 microns. They can, get through, they can get through almost nearly everything. So you're talking about the injections and the virus, the so-called virus, which is not a virus. Are no, it's both, a nanoweapon. And they're both this thing. They're these biosynthetic parasites. Yes. That's why there ivermectin are... was working and people were responding to ivermectin. 
thank you for bringing that up because I want people to have hope. Um, this is not just technology. It's part technology, part biology. And as you go through the patents and the peer review publications, most of the biological sequences for this type, this nanoweapon are from parasites. And that's exactly why. And, they, and it states in the documents that they respond to their environment. They respond to chemicals and enzymes and products in their environment. That's why the ivermectin and the hydroxychloroquine and the anti-parasitical parasitic treatments, uh, you know, kill it and or at least slow it down. Now, the other thing is it's part technology. It clearly states in the patents that this is based on quantum dot. It's based on uh, the Bohr particle, which is based on frequencies, which means that frequencies can also disable this technology. And there is a peer reviewed a publication in Science Magazine that actually talks about there are specific electromagnetic uh, sequences that completely disable the spike protein. Why is that? Because it's not a biological spike protein. It's a nanotechnology. That's why frequencies will disable it. Probably a year and a half ago, I was looking at images on this show and I said, that looks like a self-aware organism. People mm -hmm. looked at me like I was absolutely insane. Magnetic hydrogels, genetically engineered magnetic hydrogels are self-aware. They have cognitive ability. That's what they are. It's, it's in the patents. It's in all of the documentation. They are what is called a smart technology. Smart hydrogel is a kind of material that can perceive small physical and chemical stimuli such as temperature, light, pH, and make significant response behaviors. Because of this intelligence, hydrogel has a fascinating application prospect in tissue engineering, drug controlled release, and soft actuators. What are soft actuators? They are the, the building of new biosynthetic structures, part biology, part technology. What they intend for us is far worse than death. Um, humans are the host to spawn this new artificial intelligence species. And it's not just one species. Uh, the technology has CRISPR-Cas9. As Dr. Catherine Whitehead from Carnegie Mellon said, they need to do the mRNA gene editing technology, gene editing, uh, gene editing inside the cells, inside the animals. The animals are humans. So they're not killing us. They're experimenting on us. And they're using us as the hosts to, as the patent said, spawn these new species that they're creating. The, the story of SARS-CoV-2 is, and the variants, and the PCR tests, which have a 97% false positive, that's just a prop in this theater, and the American people are the audience to distract us from the fact that there is an AI nanoweapon, a new synthetic, biosynthetic species that is inoculating the global population and ex experimenting on us and exterminating us. That is the truth. So real quickly here, people are gonna freak out. What if somebody has been sick with COVID? In other words, infiltrated by these biosynthetic parasites. Do they have any hope? Uh, there absolutely is hope because again, these are part biology and part technology. So the, the anti-parasitic agents such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine work to slow down the replication of these parasites in the body. And then there are the use of uh, electromagnetic frequencies to disable 
the spike protein, because the spike protein is not a biological agent. It is this AI parasite. Uh, and so there are studies that demonstrate that certain frequencies can also disable it. Well, that's a bit of good news, along with a lot of bad news. The biggest thing that this discovery and proof explained for me was the real purpose behind the initial banning of hydroxychloroquine, which was already proving itself to be 100% effective against the so-called coronavirus from day one. On August 13, 2020, we broadcast our episode entitled The Smoking Gun, Hydroxychloroquine. If you recall, that was when Dr. Simone Gold led a team of doctors speaking out against the hydroxychloroquine suppression during a Capitol Hill media conference. The conference itself was removed from various social media sites, and worse, Dr. Gold was fired for having participated in the conference in the first place. And since then, I understand she's even been locked up in jail, been in and out of jail. Doctors at the conference testified about the dramatic positive results achieved by using hydroxychloroquine to treat their COVID-19 patients. They cited dozens of studies and references supporting this practice. They condemned the political prohibitions against hydroxychloroquine and argued that tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths resulted directly from this policy. They also condemned the censorship surrounding the efficacy of a treatment that would end the COVID-19 pandemic threat immediately. Now, I argued at the time that prohibitions against prescribing hydroxychloroquine to COVID-19 patients was the smoking gun that made those behind these measures prime suspects in a conspiracy of mass murder never before seen in Western nations. And it was a conspiracy. That was also the proof. I didn't have to look back anymore. And to add insult to injury, the censorship of those who were eyewitnesses to the crime, frontline doctors everywhere, was an act of injustice so profound that it staggers the imagination. But now we know that it wasn't just a conspiracy of mass murder. It was a necessary action made necessary by the fact that their synthetic parasites would not be able to evolve inside the human body. As Karen Kingston explained, human bodies we're required to develop the technology. Humans are the host for the new technology. That explains so much. Hence all the talk about the whole operation being an experiment, one that is still going on. And naturally, Bill Gates praised the censorship of the frontline doctors and dismissed their testimonies and experiences with hydroxychloroquine as being quote-unquote nutty stuff. Yeah, but the real nut in this scenario was Gates himself something that becomes glaringly obvious whenever his viewpoints were juxtaposed against those of the frontline doctors. Unable to refute them, it was only natural that we, he would have to have their voices silenced. I think that one of the tough realities to come to grips with is the degree to which technology has advanced beyond the average person's ability to even comprehend the principles or existence of that technology, let alone its particulars. Self-assembling nanotechnologies, self-adapting scalable and communicating sensor platforms further capable of autonomous and cognitive action? Man, when I heard that a nano is one one-thousandth the size of a virus, that was stunning. I mean, that's beyond Star Trek. That's beyond anything I've ever heard of. 
that can actually manipulate and control particles that small? You know, obviously masks don't do anything. 10 microns is one of the size of these things? I mean, we're so far beyond beam me up, Scotty, it isn't funny. But never be fooled into believing that these quote-unquote smart technologies are cognitive in the way human beings are. The real cognitive agent behind these nanotechnologies and what they will choose to do is the real-life humans who are doing all the programming and turning on and off the switches behind the scenes. That's where the cognitive action is going on. When we return, on the other side of our upcoming bumper break, our attention will turn to some of the other ingredients of our stewing political crisis. This is a totally whacked out idea. It's never going to work. That DNA machine can do anything. Why shouldn't it work? The hard part was finding one of my dead cells. You really think you can clone yourself from your own dandruff? (laughs) Why not? Dandruff has DNA in it. That machine has a clone facility. But a man made from dandruff? It's never going to work. The first time you take a shower with medicated shampoo, you'll disappear. (laughs) I won't be made of dandruff. My body will be recreated from the genetic pattern contained in its structure. Look, I know it's old-fashioned, but I'm from the school of belief if God had intended us to fly, he wouldn't have invented Spanish air traffic control. <laughs> OK, that machine might be able to cure diseases and stuff, but you shouldn't use the change into what you're not. You are what you are. Wasn't it Descartes who said, I am what I am? No, it was Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> well, whoever it was, he was a hell of a philosopher. And I think what he was trying to say was... You've got to stay true to what you are. Oh, here we go. Typical knee-jerk techno-fear reaction. That machine is the greatest single technological advancement mankind has ever made. Greater than fire. Greater than the wheel. What about the dude with three heads? What happened to him? Well, he abused it. Right, yeah, someone always does. Uh, Mr. Armstrong, thank you for being with us. We hear that uh, there's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on with our money these days. You know, they they don't understand how to run the economy at all. Honestly, I think the Three Stooges could have done a better job. (laughs) um, And this is more or less why they're beating the war drums. They, They really think that first of all they they won't get a nuclear war uh, but they want to be able to create some sort of a conventional war and that will be their excuse to default on their on their government debts um i i think they're completely insane actually but uh uh they're they don't understand i think that uh the the level of disrespect they have uh, placed on Russia is, is just unbelievable. In in really the 40 years I've been dealing with governments, you know, from Asia to Europe, I mean, everywhere, Middle East, I have never seen a crop of world leaders as incompetent as we have today. Every president before of the United States always sought world peace. I mean, Biden is talking about Armageddon, uh, nuclear war, and and we got to eliminate, you know, Putin. I mean, it's just completely crazy. 
all we have is warmongering from people. I mean, there is not a single world leader that I, I can see that is even interested in talking about peace. It's just, it's mind-boggling, really. I think that they're seriously deranged. Um, they think that they can uh, trump up war and that it won't go nuclear. And in all honesty, what this is about is the climate change people. I mean, they have gone completely nuts, really. You know, Russia, 50% of its GDP is the production of fossil fuels. So they really want to conquer Russia, to destroy its economy, all for climate change. So you're willing to risk nuclear war for this climate change nonsense. What, why are they pushing for this? What is it really behind all of this? In your I estimation. think a lot of it is stupidity, honestly. This theory of a one world government and this idea that if you have one government, you end wars. The former French president, Holland, said the reason for the EU is that one government and will end European war. And this is the same theory that they always present. And this is the, the argument why the UN should be in charge of climate change globally and everybody surrender their sovereignty. It's the same theory that, you know, one government and that will end war and it will not. Uh, I mean, yes, there was one government with the Roman Empire. How many times were there, you know, civil wars? You know, it, it's just nonsense that these people come up with and they're just theories and there's no precedent in history that shows that they're ever right. Ukraine, I know very well. I've had, you know, direct contacts on both sides in the Donbass as well as Kiev. It is the most corrupt country acknowledged by the IMF in Europe, probably in the entire world. I would not believe a single thing that they ever say. Everything is propaganda. Uh, it's, it's come out that Malaysian flight that the, was shot down, they did it. And they tried to blame, you know, Russia for it. Everything they do, you know, oh, killing all the civilians and the Russians did that, they did it. Uh, you know, there are video clips that the NATO has proving it was Ukraine that shot their own people to try and blame Russia. I mean, you, you don't understand, Ukraine is one of the most corrupt places in the world. It, it's just off the charts. Oh, it's so sad. I mean, and this is what we're watching. So when you're looking at our economy, I mean, are we getting out of this? Or Trump once said, we're going to go into the worst possible uh, situation financially that we've ever seen. And it's looking very disturbing right now. What do you think? Is, is this going to get a lot worse before it gets better? Or oh, yes. Uh, eventually, what was going to happen? When people realize that the problem is government and it's the governments that are moving to this into this default position that's why they're just spending whatever they want they know they're not going to pay anything back all right that's what klaus schwab is saying you'll own nothing and you'll be happy he's trying to make it sound like he's doing this for you that 
you'll be relieved of all your debt, your mortgages, everything else. Well, that's not the problem. The problem is government debt, but they can't default on it because out goes all your pension funds and everything else. So they're trying to make it sound like they're doing it for you. But the worst possible scenario is we're looking at a sovereign debt, debt default and we're going to looking at Europe breaking up uh, a lot of places, you know, the tensions just rising and countries breaking up. I mean, this is because it's that this is exactly how Rome fell. It, it, they fall from internal uh, disputes. Right. Uh, look, these are, are Schwab's deliberate idea is simply to default on the debt. Um, you know, uh, that's been his proposal for a number of years. And that's why these governments are just spending whatever they want now. They don't care. There's no fiscal responsibility anywhere you go um, because they know they don't have to pay it back. Hmm. So people are going to be looking more at security from anything that's tangible because when we're looking at creating some sort of a new currency, which is really their end goal, um, then whatever the value of your house would then transfer into some new currency and uh, usually its international value, you know, is retained. Going forward, I would be, you know, concerned geopolitically and watching civil unrest next year. I mean, we're showing that probably the Republicans should, uh, should win at the very least the House. Uh, but we're looking at uh, elections that are also going to be rigged every which way they possibly can. There's too much at stake for these people um, to allow it to flip. And um, that's my main concern, that we've gotten to the point that it, we, it's no longer about civilization and democracy. It's, it's about it's my way or the highway. And that's pretty much it. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And that is the bottom line, to borrow a fiscal term, the destruction of civilization and democracy. When Armstrong predicted a coming shift from public and government asset securities to private, and in particular discussed creating a new currency based on something tangible, I couldn't help but recall the very tangible description of the necessity of tangible money made by Isabel Patterson back in the 1940s. In her book, The God of the Machine, one of her essays was entitled, Why Real Money is Indispensable. And I have read many passages from this essay before on the show, including this one, that begins with a haunting observation of how to destroy a civilization. And if I were to describe her 1940s observation on this point in terms of today's language, the most applicable term I would be using is that of Matthias Desmet's mass formation hypnosis theory. Give a listen to this. Quote, What is most astonishing is that when the enemies of civilization have openly declared their intention to destroy it, to break down the circuit of the high-energy society of contract, and have explained how they mean to do so, those who are to be destroyed will deliberately carry out the program of ruin. The explicit threat is cited by John Maynard Keynes. 
And then she quotes Keynes himself, quote, Lenin was certainly right. There is no subtler, no surer means of overturning the existing basis of society than to debauch the currency. The process engages all the hidden forces of economic law on the side of destruction, end quote. And then Patterson continues, The requirements of a sound currency are simple. What is wanted is a medium of exchange, something for which everything else can be exchanged so that it enters into every transaction as the unit of value and serves for an indefinite number of transactions, an endless use. The use of things depends upon their intrinsic qualities. Cheese is edible. Leather is used for shoes because it is pliable, tough, and long-wearing. So, the material used for money must be durable, divisible, incorruptible, portable, not easily imitated, and found in nature in sufficient but limited quantity. Nothing but the precious metals answer to these intrinsic requirements. Gold was not and is not given value by fiat any more than cheese or cotton or leather were given value by fiat. It has value because it serves a vital need. Nothing can be given value by fiat. If a gold coin of the Roman Republic were dug up now, it would have its original value, though the Roman Republic perished 2,000 years ago. So would a Russian gold ruble minted under the Tsars, or a gold coin of Germany or France dated before 1914. But paper currency of Russia, Germany, or France before 1914 is now waste paper. The absolute necessity of real money, the unit in precious metal for any extensive sequence of exchanges, has been proved by the very theorists who said it was mere convention, and by the nation whose agents are still spreading propaganda to persuade other nations they wish to destroy, that a managed currency consisting of nothing but printed paper is just as good or better. The necessary application of arithmetic to goods and labor could not be made at all without real money. In applied mathematics, you must describe your unit. With a gold unit of value, labor hours and material and depreciation of machinery and everything that goes into the whole process can be reckoned by a common measurement. And they must be reckoned somehow in order to move anything at all from field to factory to shop. End quote. Now can you just imagine the chaos and the insecurity we would experience if the great resetters are successful with their implementation of a very unreal and artificial system of money. And any form of electronic money is infinitely worse even than fiat-created paper money. If the power or energy source or technology required to create the currency should happen to be interrupted or be turned off, well, do I actually have to need to explain how disastrous that would be? So when Martin Armstrong predicts a coming shift from the public government asset securities to private and anything tangible, he's pretty much talking about tangible property and the precious metals, and all because they are to be found in nature, as Patterson put it. But when it comes to Patterson's observation that those who are to be destroyed will deliberately carry out the program of ruin, 
I cannot help but think of the parallel of that reality with that of the COVID pandemic, which, like it or not, was announced and planned in advance. Which, like the stolen 2020 American election, was announced and planned in advance. And which, like the threatening nuclear holocaust, has been openly announced and planned in advance. With all those in danger of being destroyed, quote-unquote, deliberately carrying out the program of ruin. Which brings us back to the mass formation theory of Matthias Desmond who, on this side of our upcoming bumper, in the following audio bite from a January 3rd Tommy podcast, warns against our wanting to get back to the old normal as our response to the new normal. And when we return, Dan Bongino on October 10th makes a brilliant observation regarding the natural superiority of capitalism over any other economic system. Mass formation is a phenomenon that is provoked by a voice. It's, it's a voice of a leader, the voice, a voice that is distributed time and time again through the mass media uh, that keeps people in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the process of mass formation. And the leader himself is also grasped in this process of mass formation. This is so typical for this process that uh, both the hypnotist and the hypnotized are into the process. Um, um, name, the, and, name the leader. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. Name the leader. Name the leader? In that case, in this case, the leaders are the, are the experts. Right? It's, it's clear that 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 the authority and the, uh, uh, is situated now in, in, in the experts and the technocrats, you could say. Uh, so that these people are pronouncing time and time again the narrative in the mass media, and they believe in the underlying ideology, usually. But very often they don't believe in the exact narrative that they that they distribute. Uh, usually they are so fanatically uh, convinced that. Uh, their ideology is what will save the world, that they feel that it is justified to manipulate a little bit, to lie a little bit. So, but it is the voice of the leader that keeps people in the, into the hypnosis. And once you understand that, you understand that if you want to make the, 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 the mass formation less deep, then it is quintessential that there are people who continue to speak out and to continue who voice a dissonant voice in society because this will disrupt the process of mass formation. That is the most basic and the most important uh, thing we can do. In the first place, we have to continue to speak out. In the second place, we have to connect in the real world, in small circles that overlap a little bit, forming networks with people vaccinated and unvaccinated. It's not important, but just try to connect in the real world with people who have the feeling that something is wrong. So, and then uh, the, in the next step, so it's very important if we try to convince people, if we try to uh, to to, uh, uh, to to bring a different narrative, it's extremely important that we do not try to convince people to go back to the old normal, because the old normal what was what people tried to escape through the process of mass formation. It was exactly because the old normal was unbearable that people were sensitive to the process of mass formation. Thus, what we should try to construct together is a new normal, but, but which is not a technocratic or a transhumanist new normal. We should show people that there are other options. There are other options to escape the old normal uh, than uh, a technocratic, transhumanist uh, 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 new normal. So I think these three things are extremely important. We have to continue to speak out. That's the most important thing. 
then we have to try to connect and we have to construct a, a, a narrative altogether, a new normal, showing people that there are other options to escape the old normal. As soon as we understand that, I think we can start to become successful. Because what I often hear now is that the people who refuse to go along with the mainstream narrative, that they actually always try to convince the people to go back to the old normal. And that's, that, that, that's from a psychological point of view, that's absurd. And then the last important thing I, I, I believe is that if we try to resist, if we try to defy what's happening now, then we should stick to the principles of non-violent resistance, because that's by far the most efficient uh, strategy. Because once you start to think about, once you become aggressive, even only in the way you speak, then you will justify for the masses yeah. to, to, to channel and to, 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 to direct all this frustration and aggression at the dissonant voice. Because that's one of the major characteristics of mass formation is that people become radically intolerant for dissonant voices. And of course, that's because the dissonant voices threaten to wake up the masses. And in that case, the masses are confronted again with the, with the free-floating anxiety and so on. Uh, so people are usually radically uh, intolerant for dissonant voices. And every sign of aggression from the group who, uh, uh, who does not go along with the masses justifies... Uh, uh, the, 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 that the masses commit atrocities. Sometimes they are always inclined to. So that's the my four. If I should, if I have to put it in a very concise way, continue to speak out. Try to connect. Think about the new normal, which is different from uh, the new normal that led to the mass formation, and always stick to the to the principles of nonviolent resistance. This is an article I said I was going to get to last week. I'm going to wrap the show up with it today because it's an important one. It's a deeper dive, but I strongly, strongly recommend you read this. It's in the Wall Street Journal by William McGurn, so it's subscription only. But if you have a subscription, put this in a search engine and read this article. It's so good because it's something I've talked about with Joe in the basement when we started the podcast eight years ago. I was discussing the big, big differences between capitalism and socialism. Oh, yeah. Not the small stuff, the big stuff. Why it will never work. Capitalism says the more population, the merrier. That's the name of the piece. Really, really good. Talks about the benefits of this of capitalism and how it's not only efficient, but because it locates the source of wealth. Capitalism locates the source of wealth. Think about this for a second. Where's the source of wealth? Don't go with your first answer. Your first answer is probably like, oh, you know, oil, gas, resources, factories. Nope. 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 Big mistake. It's not the source of wealth. Folks, you know, when we were, you know, burning whale blubber and kerosene and lamps, the black stuff that used to come out of the ground we call oil was considered a waste product. But some human mind figured out that the hydrocarbon bonds and the petrochemicals there could be used for energy. And it became a resource. But it was only a resource because someone thought of it. The source of wealth is in the human mind. Listen, I don't want to get too dramatic about this and you know, start trying to do a wax philosophic here. But the source of wealth has been always considered by the socialists to be the factories. That's why socialism, which is the opposite of capitalism, involves the confiscation of the means of production. 
If you were a communist, you take people's farms and you take their factories. The reason communism never works and will especially never work um, in today's modern society is although you can take people's property, you can never take their money. You have to kill them to take what's in their mind. People will always find a way around it. And they can spread an idea even when you take their property away, especially now given the democratization of the Internet and social media. They're built, now, McGurn's making this argument about how superior capitalism is because he says, listen, we're all being pessimists. This is where I'm leaving you with the good news. He says, don't be a pessimist. He's this book out, Superabundance, coming out, where it makes the point that we are going to get wealthier because there's more people. And therefore, I just told you, Joe, the source of wealth is where? The mind. More people means more minds. Overpopulation is not a thing. Because the more people we create, the more ideas we create, the more resources we build. And that's what's leading to the superabundance. They bring up another point, that if any of this was true, that human beings are some cancerous rot on society, right? Then this point wouldn't make any sense. They talk about this, uh, this, time, this time price theory. That if, Joe, if resources are finite and overpopulation is a problem and the socialists are right, then how come they have this time price notion? Well, what's time price? Read, this is so cool. How long it takes to earn the money necessary to buy an item. Well, if we were all getting poorer because of overpopulation and, you know, virally replicating human being parasites, then how come things are just cheaper now? They note that a factory worker in 1850 had to work two hours and 50 minutes to buy a pound of sugar. While his counterpart today has to only work 35 seconds. Multiply that by similar gains and hundreds of other resources and commodities. And the result is super abundant. That's why capitalism will always be far superior. And that is precisely why capitalism is so deeply hated by collectivists of all stripes. And how coincidental that Bongino should have mentioned a theme we ourselves have been repeating for several decades that overpopulation is not even a thing. Depopulation plans are utterly insane, even beyond their murderous ideologies. And also, how coincidental that in Martin Armstrong's conversation with Maria Z that we featured on our September 29th show, he made the same observation as Dan Bongino. So that must be a right-wing conspiracy, right? <laughs> no. Great minds think alike. They don't conspire. Schwab will fail for the same reason as Marx. He's trying to change human nature, observed Armstrong. And what socialism destroys, he argued, was the human quality of curiosity. Remember that? If you're not curious, you'll never discover anything, he said. If people cannot think... Their economies collapse, he concluded. And just where does the process of thinking and thought take place? Well, in an individual's human mind, and nowhere else. There are no collective minds, despite any Borg ideologies that are held by people. And as I pointed out then, whereas the left seeks to change human nature, the right operates on the principle of developing political and economic systems that are consistent with human nature, which is why the true right is where freedom and capitalism are to be found. However, and sad to say, 
Capitalism is still the unknown ideal, to borrow upon Ayn Rand's book of the same name. The fundamental reason that capitalism is superior is because capitalism is a moral system, meaning pro-life. Morality is about preserving life. And it's a moral system played out in economic terms through free trade. And the operative principle is consent. And the fundamental reason that collectivism is inferior is because collectivism is an immoral system, meaning anti-life, played out in political terms through coercion and fraud. The operative principle is force. This is why the human mind is able to operate freely under capitalism and cannot function under any form of coercion, which is what all left-wing ideologies are. Systems of fraud and coercion. How can any mind function in an environment like that? It continues to literally stun me that the power of a free market is still so little understood, and it has a lot to do with an absence of that curiosity that Armstrong was talking about. Then there's Matthias Desmus' warning that we should never advocate going back to the old normal as our means of escape from what is being described under the Great Reset as the new normal. I totally agree with this point. He, he suggests that we should show people there are other options to escape the old normal. And, of course, that option is freedom and capitalism, which both continue to be resisted because of people's immoral desire to escape individual responsibility, morality, and to seek the illusionary security of the forced collective. But talking about old and new normals gets us caught in a familiar trap, doesn't it? It's the old adjective problem again, when an adjective in front of a concept essentially means not. Old normal equals not normal. New normal equals not normal. For the same reason the right is just right, so too the normal is just normal. So, let's leave our fraudulent adjectives behind us and just say what we really mean, shall we? New normal, old normal are abnormal. What's normal for us at Just Right is getting together each week to bitch about all of the things that aren't normal, as we will again do next week when you join us on our continuing journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes, everything will be Curious, the skeletal form appears to be basically humanoid in structure. He's got three heads. <laughs> Wait, here's some kind of wallet. Oh, the artifacts are human. A pilot's license, ID, even a video club card. Are you telling me this guy belonged to a video club and he needed a card so they'd recognize him? He's got six eyes and three noses. If it were me, I'd remember him. Aren't you the bloke who came in last week, sneezed and caused a monsoon? I think we can assume he started out as human and something happened here. Something that mutated him in this unspeakable way. Best guess? Some kind of DNA modifier designed to alter organic life at its molecular level. This would explain our triple-headed friend back there. So what does it do? Every single cell in your body contains DNA, which is a series of genetic instructions telling your body how to grow. It's like a small computer program that chooses the color of your eyes, tells your nose what shape to be, designates your sex, your height, everything, even your lifespan. This machine simply rewrites the DNA program. 
So this machine can transform any living thing into any other living thing by altering its molecular structure? Precisely. My heavens. I'm human. Yeah, but you lost your looks. <laughs>